the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. It's been reported that the divorce rate in America is 50% for first-time marriages, 67% for second marriages, and 73% for third. According to today's guest, Alana Pratt, what this says is that most people don't evolve from the first relationship. They didn't take the time to integrate the life lessons or to heal their wounded hearts. And so, they repeat the same devastating pattern again. Alana shares her tips on how to find love successfully after divorce. She's a relationship coach and intimacy expert who is the author of six books on love and relationships. Welcome, Alana. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Joan, thank you for having me. And those numbers are absolutely accurate. And yet I've also heard with COVID, there was a spike another additional 34%, so 50 plus 34, like a huge, almost 80% uh, rise in the divorce rate when people were forced to feel and face what they didn't want to face or feel um, when they were really forced to. So I'm here to support people in having those tough conversations, keeping their heart open for those tough conversations, because it doesn't necessarily mean divorce if you have to face that elephant in the living room. Sometimes the very worst can bring out the very best in us if we slow down, sit in the fire, and share our truth with our beloved. The statistics that I mentioned and that you just added to, you know, they're really alarming. And I'm a divorced woman as as well. So I have studied a lot of this, and and I do hopefully know more than I did when my marriage broke Mm. up. But What do you believe are the biggest mistakes people make after divorce? Mm. Well, the biggest mistakes people make after divorce is rushing back into a relationship to try to soothe that emptiness inside rather than do the opposite. Turn towards the pain. Turn towards the wounded part inside of us and learn the lessons that were presented by that relationship that didn't work out. And that takes Well, it takes bravery. It takes humility. It often takes support, like a coach like me or a therapist or a pastor or a priest, somebody that doesn't judge, somebody that can ask those intense questions and teach us to take 100% responsibility for our life, but not to judge ourselves, criticize ourselves, reject ourselves or our partner, because that just keeps the cycle going. Everyone's doing their best, and including ourselves. And when we can have compassion and curiosity rather than judgment and denial, we really start to evolve. Do men or women tend to jump back into the fire more quickly? I coach both men and women, single and couples. And in my practice, the people that are attracted to me, it's pretty equal that both men and women jump back in too soon into relationships. The reason is, is stereotypically a little different. Most of the time, the men want to be appreciated and they want touch. And a lot of times the women, and this is a generalization, they want that safety that someone to exhale into. Um, and so the, the reasons might be slightly different. 
but the main um, core reason is the same, that no one has really taught us how to sit in our own discomfort. No one's really taught us how to navigate intense emotions and integrate them, heal them, process them back to that place of calm, peace, centeredness from which we make great choices, from which we can hear our intuition. And I, I have had two divorces. I didn't do the work after my first divorce. And I just wanted someone on the outside to make everything on the inside feel better. Do you think, uh, as you and I both being divorced women, do you think that the opportunities that are available to women today, being in the workforce, being more educated, moving up the ladder, do you think that plays a role in the increasing divorce rates? Yes, absolutely. Because in the quote unquote olden days, a man was a plan. But now that we can absolutely fend for ourselves and create magnificent wealth, it gives us choice. We don't have to, out of desperation, be with somebody because we can't make it on our own. So that's positive. The other side of that, when, we, when women have autonomy, sovereignty, is that we can often judge the softness of our femininity, judge the um, surrendered, letting go capacity of our feminine power. And we actually become, I believe, too masculine, too driven. I can do it myself. And we often close our heart and are afraid to surrender, let go, and have a beautiful a symbiotic relationship where we can still knock it out of the park in our in our careers, but we allow ourselves to be open, surrender, and be held, and let go. And I know that you believe that divorce can actually be a gift, that it can be a portal to self-realization. And I know in my life that's the case, even with all of the pain of the divorce. And, you know, it's not something anyone really wants to go through. I believe I'm a a different person today because of it, because when I got married, I, you know, I was groomed to be a wife and mother. That was how I was raised. It was what I was to do. And, and I got married young and I fell into that role. I was, and it was even before that I was always this subservient good girl, but I really Mm. embodied that role of trying to be the perfect wife and mother that I lost myself along the way. I lost who I want who I was, what I wanted to accomplish. So it was only through the divorce that I launched my companies and I started this work and I really grew into the woman I could have been, but I didn't allow myself to be. Mm, mm, I so hear you. And I'm just wanting to jump through the phone right now and give you a big hug. <laughs> good for good for you for being willing to see how the very worst could bring out the very best in you. Um, and see, I like to say my ex-husband is my greatest spiritual teacher because he uh, was a catalyst for me to look at my shadows and do my work. I believe there's a a, a new way of looking at relationships before. It's like, can you find your soulmate? But a lot of times, and this is just semantics, but the idea is, I believe a soulmate is like, you complete me, and our wounds attract one another. Finally, I'm appreciated. Finally, I'm approved of. But when a divorce happens, if you do the work, it's our job to approve of ourselves. It's our job to appreciate ourselves. Our happiness is our job. It's not another's responsibility. So then instead of soulmates, we can become whole mates. And in fact, I have a dating app and I call it heart mates. So that two whole people, two people with healed hearts come together and they give from the overflow. They're not completing each other. They're complementing one another. And they literally can ignite the best in one another from wholeness, not from emptiness. And so some of the mistakes we make after divorce is, I I don't need anybody. I'm good on my own. Yes, that's a good first healing step. But then as we, we move into relationship again, we no longer look to be completed. We no longer look for them to make us happy. And we, we do our own inner practice consistently. You don't stop once you're in a relationship again. It's like a plant. You bring the plant home. You don't stop watering it, right? So we take care of ourselves as a flourishing plant from which we give from the overflow to ignite the best in our partner. And this is magic because two holes, that hole is greater than the sum of the parts. That extra light and inspiration and evolution is really, I believe, meant for the planet, meant for humanity, for consciousness, so that you can be an inspiration um, to those that, that need it during one of the most difficult times in history. Lana, what do you say to the person who, post-divorce, defines him or herself as divorced? I was watching the movie It's Complicated the other day, and, mm. and there's this great line 
where Meryl Streep is speaking with Alec Baldwin, and she says to him, you know, it took me 10 years to get my balance back. I no longer feel divorced. I'm just normal. So what do you say to that person that can't find that equilibrium? Mm, It's a great question because our identity, the point of view from which we see ourselves, literally creates our reality. And so I remember back on my first divorce, my mother said to me, turn off that sign above your head, please. And I said, what sign? She goes, it's blinking. It's too bright. It says failure, failure. Mm. And that's what I had made my divorce mean, that I had failed. And so as I started to do the work and I grew and I got grateful for all the lessons, I let go of the identity of failure. I let go of the identity of being divorced. And as you're alluding to it, now I can just be. I can just be me. Mm-hmm. And that is what I mean when I say wholemate or heartmates like my app. This is our job is to come back to wholeness. And wholeness is, is often misunderstood as perfection. I am not talking about being perfect. I'm a hot mess a lot of the time. <laughs> and I'm also extraordinary at what I'm extraordinary at. So there's a compassion and a patience for my wobbly parts. And there's a celebration and appreciation of my mastery. And so I can be with the light and the dark. I don't need to justify and prove I'm good enough, but I don't need to hide or be ashamed. I can just be vulnerable. And this is when you really get to realize vulnerability is actually our greatest superpower. It's just been misunderstood as a weakness, but it's far from that. Well, like you just said, you know, it's okay to be a hot mess. People think... You know, it's like with any type of grief, and this is grief. You are grieving. They think that there's this moment where the light switch just flips and everything is great. And, you know, I can tell you, I'm eight years post-divorce, and sometimes I'll be walking through the supermarket, and, you know, I might look at a, a grocery item or something, and all of a sudden my eyes tear up. And it's okay to have that happen. And mm. hopefully it happens with less and less frequency, but it's not a bad thing. Mm, thank you for saying this because we that moment when we're triggered, we can't create on top of an emotional trigger. And we often try to stuff them away. Hip, you know, if you imagine little you inside of your heart, the one who tears up, the one who gets wobbly or insecure from time to time, the old me used to have that emotion arise and then I would push it down as if I was hitting little you with a two-by-four and shoving her in the closet saying, don't let anybody know. But now it's different. I, I learned that we can't create or destroy energy. We can transform it, though. We can be alchemists. And so when that emotion arises in the grocery store, when you see an item that reminds you of a, of a time with your, with your ex, go towards that. Breathe into it. Lean in. Because if we can stay present with that energy and not judge it, not fix it, and literally have the energy of, I will sit with you, little wobbly sad part, for eternity, if that's how long you need. I got you. I love you. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm here. I acknowledge you. I validate you. If you can be that compassionate way with yourself, that energy begins to transform into the wisdom that the lesson learned. And so we're no longer trying to operate on top. I call it like sprinkles on top of the ice cream cone of crap. (laughs) We don't try to push away this anymore. We literally begin to embody and integrate these lessons into a new baseline, a new zero point where that that trigger no longer triggers us. And that's when we know we've done the work, Um, when we can stay present. We still might feel an emotion, but we can stay present, heart open with ourself, and then we can give that gift to our partner and stay present with them. It's always about becoming the one to find the one or awaken the one we're with. So we've been talking about divorce. When, when I opened, you spoke about the pandemic and these new statistics of what's going on within relationships due to all of this uh, quarantining and being trapped together in the home. And yeah. <laughs> using the word trapped, I mean, maybe I should find a better word, but, but being together in the home. So let's look at this dynamic from two different angles. The first one being, what is this doing to relationships that are already in trouble? Um, What is it bringing to light? And then the second point, is there something we can do to salvage those relationships so they don't end up in divorce? Yeah, great questions. The ones that were never really meant to be or they'd completed their sacred contract a long time ago, but they they just didn't want to deal with it. The gift of being quote unquote trapped 
is that you can't run away anymore. You can't just get on Facebook. You can't just leave on a business trip. Like you've got to face it. And the good news is you can learn to consciously uncouple. You don't have to blame each other in order to leave. You don't have to have an affair in order to leave. You can literally sit down in gratitude and say, thank you for everything I've learned. Thank you for what you've shown me. And, and say, and my truth is I'm complete. And you can be grateful. I'm better with this because of you. I've grown here because of you. And these people that I've been coaching, these couples, we've gotten to a place. And, and it's taken a few months. And there's been a lot of um, intensity. And they didn't really want to stop blaming each other. And they didn't really want to take full responsibility for their life. And they didn't want to stop criticizing themselves like there was a lot of steps we went through but we've come to a place where they are okay that 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 the 10-year marriage is complete and from grace they are creating a co-parenting relationship where the home is no longer this toxic you can cut it with a nice energy for the kids that they can show we still love each other it's just a different kind of love now and mom and dad are now in separate houses and each of them are more joyful more free more aligned and it's okay that each parent parents differently. There's a gift in doing it this way, and there's a gift in doing it another way. So we've had some amazing breakthroughs of peace and flourishing when they um, finally released each other. On the other side, there has been a bravery to salvage what they had. I was literally just talking with a new couple a few days ago, and I had asked the gentleman, does she see your essence is she respectful of why you're on the planet? Does she feel like wind in your wings? And he was like, no, that's what's been missing for the last 20 years. And she's a great organizer of my business. She's a great mother to our children. But I don't feel deeply seen and safe. And she, when I spoke with her, she said, well, he's just off so creative and flitting around. I have to be the banks of the river. I have to keep this family together. I can't surrender. I can't be feminine and flourishing and juicy and radiant because he's crazy. And so it was really quite amazing to see what if each of you are the catalyst for your greatest self? What if the challenges that you're, uh, or annoyances are actually your greatest learning points for your own evolution? And so we got to a place where he could be a little more grounded and, and she could be a little more open. And they're really looking at like a phase two of their 20-year marriage for another 20 years where they see each other as their greatest gift to awaken rather than their greatest annoyance to kill off. And I think working with someone like you really can make all the difference in the world because listening to you, I think that if we had gone to an outside person who could see it with a new set of eyes, a new pair of eyes and... and you know, lead us through some exercises. I, I think the relationship could have been salvaged. It's just we couldn't do it on our own and we couldn't see it on our own. So I think that that's mm -hmm. a wonderful point you make about, you know, whether with someone like you or or anyone who can help, um, it's having someone teach you how to look at your love, the other person, in a new way, you know, to, to push mm -hmm. all of that stuff away. Because after so many years of marriage, you become the nag and the person who's this and that. And it's really just finding that love again, finding that, the, just seeing that person for whomever he or she really is. Yeah, it's well said. Because when our point of view creates our reality, and we think we know who they are already, we're not even listening. We're actually not even present. And another couple that just started to work with me, they have this uh, consistent pattern of conflict and this need to be right and dominate each other. And then they have these moments of winning, but the other one lost. It's a win-lose way of communicating. So I got them to communicate in a way that I call a dyad. And all you get to say when it's a very sacred container, it's like 45 minutes, you go through certain questions. But when you go back and forth sharing, the person that just heard says, thank you. They're not allowed a rebuttal. They're not allowed to say, yeah, well, when you blah, blah, blah. Nope, you just say thank you. And thank you doesn't even mean I agree, but it means I heard you and I understand. And it was torture for these two to just go, oh, thank you, because they just wanted to annihilate each other. And that ability to just listen and not be right, they began to process all of this righteousness and lack of control and, and sit with themselves. And then all of a sudden, they got to actually hear each other for the first time. 
actually learn. Not, we don't have to have a, a winner and a loser in this conversation. What if our goal was understanding? And that was it. And I said, what are the, what are the statistical probabilities that you actually agree on everything? <laughs> Zero. Like, that's not scientifically possible. Mm-hmm. So you've got to learn the capacity to agree to disagree, to see the blessing in the differences, to go, hmm, how could we co-create this together in a way that both of us could win? It was like a totally new point of view that took a lot of humility and bravery, but they're starting to get it. They've only been working with me for a month, but they're starting to realize that it has nothing to do with the other person. The other person's just the trigger. They've actually got some inner self-love issues, worthiness issues to, to deal with that they've never slowed down to do because they've just been busy fighting all this time. Alana, with the pandemic, how does a person even date today? What does that look like? <laughs> oh, I just, I got to say, Joan, I just met somebody last weekend. So I'm in a really good Okay, so how did you now. do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, one, I'm, it's very funny, but I created a dating app. So I created it for my clients, but like secretly in the back, I thought, wouldn't it be great if I met somebody as well? And it'd be good marketing <laughs> if, I, if I did. I, I was actually in Costa Rica last weekend at uh, an event, and it was uh, a choice to, to go. I had to, you know, wear my mask through all the flights, et cetera, and navigate how do I feel about being around people, and, and I met somebody. And so what I would say is to meet somebody, vibration is everything, and our vibration is our thoughts, our actions, and our, our, are we healing our wounds? So I wouldn't, I really recommend, I recommend my app, Heartmates, and I recommend you be with communities that talk about health and well-being, consciousness, healthy communications, uh, values that align with you about giving back to humanity. You, you want to find your people. You want to find your tribe. You want to date, not in a mass, millions of people, in my opinion, on an app, but those people that are up for meaningful, deep, conscious communication that lasts. That's where you want to immerse yourself and then let go of the results. Let go of the attachment. My whole tagline of my app is become the one to find the one. You don't want to go into a situation dating from emptiness and he'll complete me or she'll complete me. That's neediness or desperateness um, and that's a vibration and you're going to attract a like vibration. So, so get yourself in a community, start practicing communication, be authentic, be your, your real self, which is a vibration and allow a community to have your back at those moments where you are feeling wobbly or crying in the grocery store, as we were, we were saying, where that's okay. That's not judged. So you continue to show up as your true self. And that's when you unexpectedly bump into someone quite aligned with you because you're being your true self. The book is Finding the One is BS, Becoming the One is Brilliant and Beautiful. If you'd like to get more information about the app or Alana and her work, you can visit alanapratt.com. Alana, thank you so much for joining us. I really have enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, likewise. Thank you for your vulnerability, your amazing questions, and for us being able to be of service to your community. It's been a privilege. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to learn. 
live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Odette Coronel, a coach who helps people create the life and relationships they want. She is here today to discuss clarifying your values to help you pick the right partner. Welcome, Odette. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Joan. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. I think what we're going to discuss really does have an important role in the way we're living our life today because we're talking about our values. So I want to get your take on what do you believe happens when we don't recognize or place emphasis on our values? So when we talk about our values, we are referring to the things that are really important to us in terms of what we believe, how we behave, and the person we want to become. So some examples of values are love, honesty, respect, responsibility, discipline, health. When you don't know what your values are, you are going through life without a sense of direction. You are going through the motions. You're kind of functioning from a reactive place where you are just reacting to circumstances that are happening to you or around you. When you don't know your values, it makes it very difficult to make decisions. It makes it difficult to determine what the right thing to do is. Our values drive our choices and actions. So when you're not clear on what to do, it could lead you to fall victim to peer pressure. It leads to lower self-esteem. It promotes victim mentality. And it affects how you do your job, the kind of friend that you are, how you parent, and what partner you choose to form a relationship with. So Odette, we can see how important values are to every aspect of our life. How does someone go about clarifying what his or her values are? The way that you can identify and clarify your values is by, first of all, thinking about your life and think about all the things that are important to you. Make a list of those things in regards to your home, your work, your friends, your family, yourself, and your partner. And next, for each thing that you wrote, that was important to you, think about and write down why is important to you. That why is the key in identifying your values. Clarifying what your values are, it matters because our values are the driving force of everything that we do. They function as a compass, guiding us as we make decisions. They help remind us what really matters and why. You know, one of the first books that I read on personal development many years ago when I was a teenager was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey is quoted as saying, it doesn't matter how tall your ladder is if it's leaning up against the wrong wall. When we're clear on what our values are, we're able to determine what goals we should be working on and what steps to take in order to achieve them. We're clear on what career we want to have, what kind of friends we want to have, what kind of friend we want to be. And also in our relationships, knowing what our values are help us decide how we're going to show up in a relationship and what we're looking for in a partner. If our goals, whether they are career goals or personal goals or relationship goals, if they're not in alignment with our values, we will be left feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied, even if we do reach our goals. Do you think that two people whose values do not align. Do you think that's why there are so many interpersonal relationship challenges today? I do, Joan. We don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose who our children are or our siblings. We just, you know, we get what we get as a result of the family that we're born into as a result of our our DNA. But Fortunately, we do have the ability to choose the person we want to create a relationship with. It's often to have that freedom and that ability, but it's also a responsibility that we should not take lightly. Who you choose to have a relationship with will have an impact on all areas of your life. So when you're clear on what your values are and you've developed that self-awareness, you know what type of person you'd like to be a relationship with. You become a better judge of character and discern if the other person's values are in alignment with your own. When you're clear on your own values, you can more easily identify someone else's values based on their behavior. It's not about accepting someone as they are or accepting a person's faults. It's understanding that this person is a certain way and has a certain set of values. And I can choose to either accept them this way and learn to compromise my own values or choose a partner whose values are not in conflict with my own. And we can both support each other as we are, both individually, we're being true to ourselves and to our values, and then together create a fulfilling relationship that's in alignment with both of our values. It helps to create a life together when you're sharing the same compass. So Odette, if you could sum it up, what's the takeaway? What do you want to leave our listeners with? 
What I'd like to leave our listeners with is I want to encourage everyone to take the time to think about what matters most in your life, to think about your values, and to live your life using your values as a compass. Once you're clear on what your values are, it's just going to make every decision that you make so much easier. You're going to be able to identify what goals you should be working on, and you're going to know how to get there. It's just going to clarify your life, make your life easier, and develop that self-awareness knowing that you're being true to yourself. Odette, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Odette and her work, you can visit odettecoronel.com. Or as always, to hear more from Odette, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Odette. Again, Odette, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Joan. We'll be right back. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. There are an estimated 6.2 million pregnancies in the United States annually, and of these pregnancies, approximately 2.2 million end in loss. The grief, depression, anxiety, and sometimes trauma that follows is unimaginable. But despite the physical and mental health challenges many face, an estimated 80% of women who experience loss will conceive again. Today's guest, Joey Miller, offers a compassionate and comprehensive guide for the physical and emotional parts of this complex journey. Joey is a grief counselor who specializes in reproductive psychology, loss and trauma, and women's mental health. She is the author of the book, Rebirth, The Journey of Pregnancy After a Loss. Welcome, Joey. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my great pleasure to have been asked to be your guest. So, Joey, more than 2 million pregnancies end in loss, and some people would say that it's better that it happened during the pregnancy because the baby wasn't born. What do you say about that way of thinking? I would argue that could not be farther from the truth, that for many parents, and especially parents who intend to conceive and go through great efforts to conceive, most find themselves detached from the moment that they confirm pregnancy And so for many, it's not just the length of gestation that deepens the attachment. Um, It is the, the depth of the attachment that happens instantaneously. So then what do you advise to help parents move past the loss of their child? I don't believe it's focusing on moving past their loss. I think that many women and, and couples who experience the loss of a pregnancy or the death of a baby never get over their loss. I think rather they can learn to live with their loss. That's something that takes you know, time. It takes work, but it is possible. Joey, two years before I was born, I had a 14-year-old brother who passed away. I, I never had the opportunity to Sorry. meet him. But one of the things I learned from my mother, and this was the way that my parents always lived their life, they spoke about him as though he was still part of the family, not in a denial type of way that, you know, he's still here, but my mother believed he was part of this family and they always shared stories with me. And I actually feel like I know him. Do you think that's a good practice for parents? I think it's highly individual. Actually, let me step back. First of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. Secondly, I think that grief is highly individual. And for many families, they suffer in silence. And so finding ways to talk about the loss of their beloved daughter or son or brother or sister is incredibly important and validating. And so I think that that can be very healthy. There are some families that choose not to talk. And for many, that doesn't mean that they're any less sad it might mean that they're experiencing this more privately. However, I do find that for many families, talking about their beloved deceased and also continuing those relationships um, is very important. So as I said, I was born two years after my brother passed away. And to be honest, I never asked my parents if I was a planned pregnancy or not. So what factors go into parents making the decision to have another child after loss? Many adults decide to have a baby or grow their family, and that decision can be made based on, you know, an infinite number of of different factors. Many 
many people, when they become, you know, of reproductive childbearing years, they decide that they want a baby. And for some, that happens very straightforwardly, and others, it has to be very intentional going through fertility or reproductive health treatments. However, once someone is pregnant and experiences the loss of a pregnancy or the death of a baby, again, as you referenced, there can be depression, there can be anxiety, there can be a very traumatic reaction surrounding those losses or the loss experience. But for many people, after they lose the baby, they they didn't lose their desire to be a parent. And for some women and for some couples, their desire is even stronger because they've trialed, they've, they've They've gotten their feet wet at the experiences of, of carrying a child or, or having a child. And for many, after they experience it, they want that again. It, it, it doesn't end with the loss of the pregnancy or the death of a baby or child. From some of the things that you just described uh, a mother and or a father will experience, from a psychological standpoint, how does someone know if he or she is ready? Are there signs? Um, I think, again, that this is highly individual. And if women waited until they felt 100% ready to try again after experiencing the pregnancy loss or the death of a baby, they would wait the rest of their lives. They would never try again because their experience has taught them that bad things can and do happen even when they're doing everything right. And so the worry and the anxieties can be extraordinary. And so I counsel women it's always important to first speak with their obstetrician at length to confirm whether or not there are medical reasons to wait or not to wait. For example, if they have a closing window of reproductive opportunity. However, once they are given the medical green light, for many women, I think it's more of a question of, do I want this more than I fear it with regard to another pregnancy? They, they need to feel ready enough but I don't think any woman will walk into it feeling 100% confident given what she's just been through. Well, and staying along those lines, anytime we experience a trauma, there's some form of PTSD that stays with us. I mean, there's always that residual fear that it can happen again. And so when a, a woman becomes pregnant again, so that that fear doesn't govern the pregnancy. Is there a strategy that you can offer to help a mother alleviate some of her concerns? Yes, indeed. I think that the anxieties can skyrocket even prior to a woman actually conceiving again. At first, her anxieties surround, will I be able to conceive again or get pregnant again? And then once she can confirm subsequent pregnancy, the anxieties quickly shift to, will I be able to stay pregnant again? So the anxieties don't overall lessen. They simply shift in focus throughout the pregnancy. And individual therapy and or medication can be incredibly helpful and effective in helping women manage. And specifically, cognitive behavioral therapy is um, very effective in helping women better delineate or tease out their fears from their worries. So we've been talking about the pregnancy, that part of the journey, but what about after the baby is born? Do some women have trouble bonding with a new baby because they're afraid of losing him or her? Yes. And I think baseline, there are many women who conceive straightforwardly in the United States and all over the world and have a completely medically unremarkable pregnancy and still have difficulty bonding. So this is not unique just to women who have experienced a loss, but perhaps an an additional challenge for women sometimes who have experienced loss. Holding on to someone and attaching to someone can be terrifying when that someone was previously taken away very abruptly, perhaps without notice or warning. And so sometimes, you know, an under-attachment or even conversely an over-attachment, you know, not wanting anybody else to hold the baby, feeling like there's nobody who can take care of this baby, you know, I'm not going to be able to trust anyone to take care of this baby just because of what happened in the past. The book is Rebirth, The Journey of Pregnancy After a Loss. If you'd like to get more information about Joey and her work, you can visit Joey Miller msw.com. That's joeymillermsw.com. Joey, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I would like to leave the listeners with with the information that pregnancy and infant loss is very real 
and it is pervasive. It affects millions of women and families all over the world annually. And in my book, Rebirth, there is the reader is left with an encouraging message of, of healing and of hope that while reproductive losses happen, there is life after loss. And again, as you mentioned earlier, over 80% of women do make that decision to go on and grow and then complete their families. So while this work is difficult, the message is that it's not impossible. Joey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, the word Zoom meant go really fast. Now, Zoom means a great deal more. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures with some tips and hints about Zoom. I can't think of one business person I know who hasn't had a Zoom conference in the past year. I can also name all the different types of frustrations we've experienced, including the phrases, you're still on mute, and oh, sorry, you go ahead. Learning to communicate via video platforms is not everyone's sweet spot. Many of us are not comfortable with being on the computer or phone camera, and many of us just don't know where to look when we are. Here are a few quick tips to make your Zoom experience less painful. First, always assume you have to do something with sound or video before you get started. Check the bottom of the screen for the microphone icon and the video icon to know exactly what's going on. Second Zoom tip, practice talking to yourself in the mirror because really, you're talking to a blank screen. There may be a time lag, so giving time for a pause when you speak is an important skill to learn and practice. Third, There is a good possibility the meeting you're in on Zoom is being recorded. So plan accordingly for your shirt, your hair, and your face. That may be superficial, but I really don't want anyone to see me or hear me eating a bagel while I'm listening to someone else speak in a meeting, and vice versa. Keep in mind, this is a real meeting, not just a drop-in with your friends for coffee. Finally, remember that everyone else on the video is feeling a bit odd as well. This is not something that comes naturally to everyone. Even people who are super experienced in video conferencing have their bad days. If you need help with social media for your business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Simple social media. Do you find yourself feeling like so many other people these days? Dealing with high levels of stress and anxiety? Hi, I'm Jessica L. Conrad. I have a master's in holistic health studies and I am an ICF certified coach. I support all women at a crossroads in life by helping them find clarity and direction. I specialize in endometriosis and infertility. Here are a few things to try and incorporate into your day that may help reduce the feelings of stress and anxiety. One, try to get enough rest. Two, practice relaxation techniques such as meditation, deep breathing exercises, and yoga. Three, be sure to take care of yourself. Examples might be getting a massage, taking a bath, or even creating art. Four, get acupuncture. Five, use herbs and essential oils such as lavender, chamomile, and valerian root. Six, most important, make sure to ask for help when needed. To download the Calming Stress and Anxiety Guide or to schedule a free discovery call or even to just ask a question, please visit my website at jessicalconrad.com. Do you suffer with heel pain? Hi, I am Dr. Anant Joshi, a podiatrist from Woodland Park, New Jersey, practicing at Advanced Foot Care of NJLLC. According to the American Board of Foot and Ankle Surgery, plantar fasciitis is the most common cause of heel pain. The condition occurs when the plantar fascia on the bottom of the foot becomes inflamed. This ligament is responsible for supporting the foot's arch. Risk factors include being obese, having a very high arch, having tight calf muscles, and participating in activities that create stress on the heel bone. Activities such as running, jumping, certain workout routines. Most people can manage plantar fasciitis with at-home treatment. Resting the foot and applying ice can reduce inflammation. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as ibuprofen or naproxen can help with pain management. 
Stretching the muscles of the leg thoroughly before and after physical activity, as well as throughout the day, may help to reduce the heel pain. Wearing supportive shoes as well as custom molded orthotics can also help relieve the heel pain. If an individual's plantar fasciitis does not get better with these treatments, see a podiatrist for further treatment options. In today's medical world, there are several non surgical options available to get rid of plantar fasciitis permanently. If you would like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website. FootPainNJ.com. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today to talk about the management of heart disease is Lori Gardner, a registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. Lori assists people with all aspects of their health care. Welcome, Lori. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Joan, for having me. Lori, February is Heart Month, so let's talk a little bit about heart disease and its prevalence and some things that we can do. So to begin with, how prevalent is heart disease? Well, uh, Joan, heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States today. More than 600,000 Americans die of heart disease each year, which is astounding. It actually is equivalent to one in four deaths in this country. And heart disease actually refers to several types of heart conditions. The most common type we all think about is, you know, when somebody has a heart attack, that's called coronary artery disease. Other types of heart disease may involve your valves, excuse me, your heart valves. Or your heart may not be pumping well, and that's called, caused heart failure. So those are three general examples. Anyone can be at risk for developing this heart disease. You know, things like smoking, eating an unhealthy diet and not getting enough exercise all increase your risk of having heart disease. Having high blood pressure, high cholesterol levels, or diabetes can also increase your risk of heart disease. So what are some of the warning signs, and are they the same for men and women? I'll go through a general list of signs and symptoms, but they are not always the same for women. For instance, I knew somebody who was complaining to her physician for probably two months, just a little short of breath, going up and down the stairs. Didn't even think it was heart disease. Had no chest pain. You know, no, no other signs, and that woman did have a major um, heart attack. Mm-hmm. But it, the symptoms do depend on the type of heart disease. In general, for many people, chest pain, we all know, we've seen the commercials and everything else, is the first sign of, of, of a heart attack. Uh, it could include the chest pain or discomfort that doesn't go away after a few minutes. It could be have pain radiating down the left arm, you know, your heart's on the left side of your body, so that lack of circulation may start there. You could just have pain or discomfort in the jaw, neck, or back. I knew somebody who just had upper back pain, went to an orthopedic musculoskeletal, working up that way. You could just have GERD or gastrointestinal kind of indigestion. You could have weakness, lightheadedness, nausea, and cold sweat. As I said, arms and shoulders could be affected, shortness of breath, and that kind of thing. One one interesting component in this is if somebody has some of these symptoms or one of them, but has this sense of impending doom, they, t- they tend to have this. That's, that's actually a sign. It's time to get moving. If we experience any of these things, what can we do to prevent and manage this condition? Really important um, question, Joan, because there's so much heart disease. This, like diabetes, I have to say as a health coach, this can be managed by lifestyle. Uh, it just, people find it very hard to, to do these changes. But basically, if you want to stay healthy, not just from, from heart disease, but a lot of chronic conditions like diabetes, you don't smoke. You try and maintain a healthy weight, eat a healthy diet, exercise regularly. If you have high blood pressure, you want to manage that and obviously have a very close and good cardiologist that you work closely with who helps you either be on the right medications or, you know, get on the right diet to minimize your medications, but also you got to manage any kind of high cholesterol or diabetes. If you're unable to make it through lifestyle changes, which is the optimum, you know, by diet, exercise, if that's not what you're going to do, it's just important to stay with your um, cardiologist and get on those medications because the medications do work. They do control and bring down your cholesterol, and that's important. And as a last tip, I will say that what I see happening a lot and is being quite helpful for certain individuals is using a lot of the tech out there, whether it's an Apple Watch, a Fitbit that shows you some progress and it monitors heart rate. You know, some of them are coming out with EKGs. They can show you what your heart's doing, managing your glucose levels. There's a lot of tech out there that 
<clears throat> one can use, you know, different things motivate different people. So I suggest to people also getting into that because that's something that would work for them. Lori, thank you so much for joining us. You know, I, I think a great takeaway from this is that you said it is possible to manage heart disease by lifestyle changes. And I, and I think that that's important because it gives us a lot of power over something that makes us feel powerless. So if you would like to get more information about Lori and her work, you can visit healthlinkadvocates.com. That's healthlinkadvocates.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lori, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lori. The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up. The loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now, I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are, as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.